Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I hope you had a good holiday weekend celebrating our Lord's resurrection, and I'm glad you've joined us for another episode. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening those who are listening to the radio this evening. Now, Pastor, this past Sunday, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to get your thoughts on something that I read over the weekend. This quote says, Easter has had has held many meanings for me, some good, some bad. The past couple of years were especially challenging as I searched for an expression of faith that resonated with everything I had been learning. Could I return to a blind adherence to a story where the resurrection of one man would provide post-mortem bliss for some while condemning others to unending torture after death? How is that justice? How is that love? Could I swear allegiance to that kind of deity, one who claims to be loving while being so exclusive in his friendships? A deity who claims to be just while perpetrating the kinds of injustices I witnessed running rampant in the very church that professed to follow him? No, I could not. And I continue to refuse to ally myself with that kind of a God. But I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe in the possibility of a rebirth and all that the resurrection can mean. I want to hope that God is inhibiting, inhabiting us with her love and her justice. Pastor, can a person be a true Christian and not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's virtually impossible for anybody to deny the resurrection of Christ and then make a proclamation that they're believers uh, in terms of being Christians. A Christian is a person who uh, repents of his sin and puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ of my imagination or your imagination, but the Jesus Christ that's been revealed in Scripture. And the key thing about him has to do with his death and his resurrection. For a man to be forgiven and pardoned, uh, Christ had to die on the cross. That's a theme that runs through the Old Testament in typology, by example. And um, and then it comes when you come into the New Testament, you find that that is expounded by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 and 4 that the death of Christ was absolutely necessary for human redemption, that he's the propitiation for our sin, he's the redeemer. and uh, But that doesn't stop there. The fact that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted 
was vindicated when God raised him from the dead. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, I think it's verse 4, the Apostle Paul said that Christ was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. So the, the proof that we have that Christ was all that he claimed to be and that his sacrifice was sufficient and adequate for our redemption is all rooted on the resurrection. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians chapter 15, he says that if there's no resurrection, the believer has believed in, in vain, he has no hope, uh, Christ um, Christ died in, in, in vain, and we have no expectation that one day we will be resurrected. And the gospel, the gospel Paul says in Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 is what? I declare unto the gospel that Christ died, that Christ was buried, that Christ was resurrected. That's the good news. The good news is not just that he died. The good news is not just that he was buried. If you have a truncated gospel where you only have his death and his burial and no resurrection, you have a truncated gospel that can't really redeem you because the, the if you read also uh, in Romans, it said he was raised for our justification. Our justification was contingent on his resurrection. So it's impossible for a person to countenance the idea that they can be a believer and um, still be a, a believer and still deny the resurrection. No one who denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a Christian or it's a saved person, they're lost, and they need to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in the Christ of the Bible, not the Christ of their imagination. You notice in the the, 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 um, the paragraph that you read, it's all uh, she, or you, yeah. you, notice, you notice that? Yeah, let me read that for you again. I want to hope that God is inhabiting us with her love and her justice. Yeah, there's no her God. Okay, the Bible is very... But that's chauvinistic, Pastor. Well, whether it's chauvinistic or not is immaterial is what we have revealed in Scripture. I don't go by my inclinations or what I think should be there. When I go to Scripture, I go and accept the Bible as the Bible presents itself. If God, everywhere in Scripture, God speaks of himself as a he, as a male, basically using the male gender. I don't have the authority to change that. I'm tampering with God's word the moment I change either a pronoun or I change an, um, a word. And we are warned in Scripture that we must not add to the word, we must not subtract from the word. If I, uh, if I can tamper with that pronoun, what stops me from tampering with something else I find offensive? What stops me from tampering, for example, with the biblical doctrines uh, teaching against the, the gay movement and the lesbian movement? What stops me? I can't. Nothing can stop me because once I begin to tamper in one area, I know have the liberty to tamper in other areas. We either accept God's word as it is, or we reject it in totality. So I, while the language of that um, statement um, sounds very sophisticated and, and sounds very uh, attractive and appealing, uh, remember that we're not saved by sentiment, we're saved by truth. So the capacity of a person to express himself in that kind of a way uh, might seem appealing to those who are influenced by uh, rhetoric. But when it comes to the matter of truth, it is what that person says. How does it align with Scripture? If it does not align with Scripture, no matter what language you use and how pleasant it is and how gifted you are in expression, uh, it carries no weight with me and it should not carry any weight with a Christian or any believer. We follow the Scriptures as the Bible is revealed and uh, those who hold contrary views are wrong and uh, are not part of the church and it's about time to stop fooling themselves and uh, understand they've got to grasp the truth and accept the truth as it is presented in Scripture. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua 
1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online for anyone in the world to listen, www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios is 739. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can call us, 1268 462 7420, or you can WhatsApp or text us at 1 268 782 1454. Uh, yeah, Brother Nathan, I, I want to inject here something else. Um, the idea that this God is um, exclusive, I think that's the term that was used. Um, the idea is that He, he um, not that he's a bigger, that's not the term that is used, but there's a term used there where it seems as though that he is um, taking a position, basically, and we have to conform to that position. Uh, I'm I trying to remember the language that was used in the passage that you uh, read. This might be the sentence you're thinking yeah, of. Ahead. A deity who claims to be just while perpetrating these kinds of injustices. I witnessed running rampant. Uh, one who claims to be loving while being so exclusive in yes, his friendships. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make a statement of that because I think this is the, uh, this guy or whoever wrote that article seemed to be believing what is called pluralism, that all religions are on par and all religions have a core belief that uh, are common to all of them uh, and therefore none of them, including Christianity, should be exclusive. But I would like to say to the person who, who uh, wrote that, that um, we are as exclusive as Christ was exclusive. Christ said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He said, I'm the door of the sheep. If any man come in here, the way the thief and the robber. Um, uh, Peter preached that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we are exclusive, and uh, as exclusive as Christ has revealed himself, and the apostles who knew him, uh, they carried on that same exclusivity. So it's not a question that, uh, I mean, anybody can come to Christ on his terms. You don't come to Christ on your terms. And a person needs to humble himself, first of all. I'm listening to the article again and resounding in my mind. Clearly, this person has a false concept of who Christ is because they're talking about him as a man. If you notice the term, he's used as a man again and again in that particular passage. Uh, he's not just a man. He is the God-man. He's both man and God at the same time. So it's a matter of a person submitting to his authority rather than we trying to establish the um our position in respect to, to salvation, whether it's exclusive or not, uh, we have to come on his terms. And humility is one of the great um, virtues that is so lacking today. Uh, pride has become a vice, and uh, but we come on his terms, we don't come on our terms, and, uh, and he is exclusive, no question about that. I can't remember if it was Peter or Paul, but one of them was talking about... Uh, people philosophizing and talking about all these elusive things and getting caught up and enthralled by that. And I often think of that passage when I see or read passages like yeah. this. Paul deals with that in, in Colossians, and he talks about the, um, well, you had the Gnostics, you have the uh, ascetics, you had the Judaizers. Uh, those are the groups that the Apostle Paul talks about. And uh, he, he makes it very clear that we must not become enamored yeah, with yeah. philosophy falsely called, basically, and science falsely called as well. So we've got to be very careful that the, the lang lingo and the language 
and the sophistication of what people say, uh, that must not be the influencing factor. The, it has to do with aligning with truth. This is what is needed when it comes to making a decision or accepting something that, some, some, that is said by someone, no matter who that person is. Two weeks ago, we began discussing how to study the Bible and properly interpret the Bible. And we want to continue that discussion, that line of thought tonight. And we're going to pick up with, now last week you rehashed a lot of what you had covered the previous week. But let's pick up tonight about how do we proceed with Bible study. Well, the um, first thing I would I stressed, um, I think might have mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning it again, that you must have a plan. You must decide that if you're going to do Bible study, you're going to do something systematic. It can be an ad hoc, you do it today, you don't do it tomorrow. Uh, you jump from John, then you go into Acts. And you, you never can learn uh, the Bible by just jumping from passage to passage. And if you don't have a plan of study, you're never never going to get anywhere with Bible study. So there are many uh, approaches when it comes to planning your Bible study. You have to decide what you intend to do. For example, are you going to study a book? Or are you going to study a theme or topic? Are you going to study a Bible character? Are you going to look at a word, how that word is used in the Bible, like the word redemption or propitiation or any other biblical song theological terms? Are you going to study the parables? Are you going to study Bible prophecy? Uh, do you want to look at uh, uh, Bible poetry? Uh, do you want to look at a particular doctrine? Uh, it all depends on what you want to do, but you've got to have a plan as to how you're going to proceed with your Bible study. So I would think that the first thing you've got to do is establish what your plan is uh, in terms of your study. And when you begin to, to study, um, you've got your plan, you pray for wisdom, you pray for understanding. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you. Remember what David said in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open thou my eyes that I may behold, begun, uh, behold wondrous truths out of your word. Remember that the Bible is it's God's book. The Holy Spirit has been given as the, the interpreter. So when we've got a plan, that plan must not exclude him. That plan must, be, must include him. He must be part of that plan. And so you need to pray for wisdom and understanding for the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Third thing I would say to you, that read, read, read. At least try to read the book. If you're studying a book, at least twice before you begin to do your Bible study in that particular book. Try to see if you get the general sense of what that book is about. You don't want to get all the details, but you read it uh, once or twi twice, at least a minimum, and try to get an idea of what this book, get the full sway of that book. Um, so you're going to read it, and then read the portion that you're going to study as, as well several, several times, and try to establish what is the central concept or truth um, that is there in that particular passage. Now, when you're studying a book or you're studying any other, always study by paragraphs. And it's important for you sometimes to get a, a Bible that breaks down the, the Bible into paragraphs. Sometimes the King James Version, the, the, um, the chapter sections, divisions, some of them are faulty. 
some of them um, a thought from the previous chapter runs into the but you would never know that because you've got chapter one chapter two so it's important to get a modern translation that breaks down the paragraphs for you the new american standard does that excellently if you want to find out what a paragraph is in terms of a sequence of thought so you've got to study in terms of paragraph. then observe very carefully what you're reading and what you're studying your understanding uh, depends on the keenness of your observation and if you don't know what is said you'll never know what is meant. So you've got to be able to uh, be very careful in terms of how you observe what you're reading. Now, when you're observing, there's certain things that you should be looking for in your Bible study. Look for what is the literary form of the, the book you're looking at. Is it a narrative? Is it poetry? Is it a didactic portion? Is it a prophetic portion? Is it a parable? Is it prose? Is it historical? Try to establish what type of genre uh, that particular passage or that book you're reading. Uh, literary forms, um, depending on the kind of genre, require special interpretation, especially when you come to like Hebrew poetry. Uh, you can't interpret the, the Psalms and the other poetic books uh, the same method, you, the same way you would um, you would interpret prose. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Piccadilly, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead. Hi, good evening to you, brothers. How are we doing? Fine, sir. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, I have a question, and I have um, something to share with you guys. Sure. Um, the question um, is regarding the uh, Good Friday. Uh-huh. Now, um, <clears throat> um, why do why do the churches still count Good Friday? As the day in which Jesus Christ was 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 basically in the tomb, uh-huh. counting Good Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh-huh. because you know, we can't get three days between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because he was, um, according to to to, to history, yeah. right, he was on the cross on Friday, right? I'm listening. And um, if he was taken on from the cross on Friday, if he was crucified on Friday. Right, mm-hmm. he would have needed to spend a twenty-four hour period in the grave for it to be called a day. Yeah, right. And um, so, if you, so if you can answer the question. Um, well, let me attempt to answer it here. First of all, I agree with you that the, if you look at the um, the fact he said, as a Jonas was it, Jonah was in the belly of the way three days and three nights. He said, "So will the Son of Man be." Yes. If you use that as a basis to deciding when he was actually. Uh, crucified, basically, it would have to be when, but Wednesday. Yeah. Oh. Uh, R.A. Torrey, um, in his book, What the Bible Teaches, does uh, a, a very good study on this to show that it actually, the proper date would be a Wednesday, not, uh, if, it, if it's three days and three nights in the, in the grave, it has oh. to be at least uh, Wednesday. Oh, but, right. but the problem we've got is that, just like Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, nobody knows exactly when Christ was born. In other words, it, it was the 25th. But this has been a long-term tradition that's been established, and the difficulty is to trying to change it. Oh, okay, and okay. that is why, for example, our church, our church, I came to, and from Barbados, and uh, when I was there, we observed Good Friday because I thought it was a wonderful opportunity to, to talk about the death of Christ. Right. I came to Antigua, the church where I'm pastoring. They don't observe um, Good Friday. They don't have a service on Good Friday. Okay, okay. Uh, but I think it's a missed opportunity because in Barbados, for example, Barbadians will go to church at least twice a year. Yeah. Easter and Christmas. Yeah. 
-hmm. So it's a wonderful opportunity for evangelism. Mm -hmm. But again, um, I think that it is perceived here, uh, at least the church where I'm from, as though it's supporting Catholicism, which is the backbone of the Good Friday. Yeah. And that is perhaps why I think. But I, I mean, I'm not against it because I really think that's a time to expound on the, the death of Christ and talk about the cross. Mm -hmm. But um, I, 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 I would have a service if I could have a service if the church want, wanted it. But I don't want at the same time to be offensive if they feel very strongly that this is anti-scriptural, anti-biblical. Mm -hmm. um, I would desist from doing it. Okay, no problem. Um, and what I would like to share with you now sure. is a documentary that I found. Um, I don't know if you know this 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 guy, um, Ron Wyatt. No. How do you spell his name? Um, excuse me. Can you give me his name again? Ron Wyatt. <coughs> Ron Wyatt. Uh, I, yes. I don't know him. Um, he does like um, discoveries and all of that, and uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. um, apparently, um, he he did a documentary. Um, where he had actually found the Ark of the Covenant and the location of the Ark of the Covenant, according to him, uh -huh. was not underneath the Temple Mount, uh -huh. uh, the Dome on the Rock, nor was it um, found in Ethiopia. Uh -huh. The Ark of the Covenant was found 20 feet beneath um, where the cross of Christ was. I never, um, I never heard that before. But. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen that video. Uh -huh. Go so, ahead. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've, I have the link and all of that. Uh -huh. I can send it, send it to you, so you can, you can go through it, and yeah. you know, and because it's, a, it's a lot of information that he's, that he's basically, um, sharing with us. Uh huh. And um, the location and where it is and what's happening there. Uh huh. It um. Well, from it, it ties in with what the Word of God says. Okay, I, I would be interested in looking at it, but uh, it's important. I'll tell you why the Ark of the Covenant is important. Mm -hmm. There's no question that the temple is going to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. The Bible prophecy makes that very clear. So if you read Second Timothy, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, mm -hmm. the son of perdition, the, the the evil one to come, the Antichrist, mm -hmm. he's actually going to set up himself in the temple. He's going to put up an, uh, um, a, a statue. Just yeah. like uh, Antiochus Epiphanes did, uh -huh. and so I think it's important. The Jews I know, for example, are they've got the materials in terms of the paraphernalia that's needed for the the temple, like the the, the chalices, the, the the forks, the pans, and so on and so forth. They've yeah. already got the Orthodox Jews have already got that. They've yeah. got they're trying to do the the uh, the, the candelabra. Uh, they've got that, so I'm not too sure that would be a fascinating study and discovery if they were to do that, because that would make the possibility of the rebuilding of the temple and putting back the furniture, etc., as they intend to do that. Uh -huh. So I think that's interesting. I'd like to, to look at it, and I promise you that if you send the link, I'll, I'll really follow it up. Yes, I'll send it. Um, I've sent it to other persons before, but they've had problems opening it uh -huh. and viewing the video, so I don't know if you're going to have the same problem. Well, I'll try. I definitely would try. Okay, if you can like repeat your cell number on, on, on the, the, the cell number that you usually um, use for, for WhatsApp. Yeah, if you send it to the station WhatsApp, we'll get it to Pastor. And the no station problem. WhatsApp is 268-782-1454. Yes, sir. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for calling. We really appreciate that, sir. Thank you. Okay. Have a good evening. I... Uh, if it's the same documentary that he's referencing, I saw it a while back. Uh, some interesting 
thoughts in it. Uh, some things that kind of brought up some questions in my mind. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, said he had found the Ark of the Covenant in this this underground chamber uh-huh. and the angels told him to go get a video camera and to bring it back so we brought the video camera back and he recorded uh opening it up i think it was opening it up and and then he asked the angel what to do with the video tape and he said oh just leave it here uh that w- that uh, alone um would cause me to um have some suspicion suspicion because no ordinary person could open the ark. I mean, it's very, very clear the only person could open the ark. I, I, I stand corrected. He may not have been to open, but it was all of his conversation with the angel. He was supposed to be videotaping, uh-huh. and almost, and then the angel said, "No, just leave the videotape here with us." Yeah, but I'll, I'll look at it. But I, I'm a little bit leery when I hear about these, um, these angelic conversations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. I mean. That seems so casual. You mean terror yeah. if you saw an angelic being? So right. I am not just sure, but it's it's worth looking at yep. and, and see exactly what the assessment would be. Yeah, we'll give you that link when it comes through. We're discussing how to properly study the Bible and how to interpret the Bible. And we had a question that just came in during that call. A question via WhatsApp from England. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Is it a good idea, Pastor, to study any other religious books along with the Bible? Well, I'm not too sure what the person means. If they mean like using a, uh, a study guide, because a lot of good study guides, uh, Jensen has a slot, entire Bible, you can buy one for Romans, for Acts, whatever it is. The, the issue has to be, do I want to discover truth for myself, uh, or do I want to, um, you know, get ahead of it, right, reinvent the wheel? It depends on what the person wants to do, as far as that is concerned. Um, and again, I'm not too sure if they mean by, by religious books, if they're meeting books of the Bible and then some other non-Christian literature, I, I am not too sure exactly what the thinking is. What I would say is that if you're going to do your own personal Bible study and you want to record your discoveries and what you've found, you might want to keep that very personal. Uh, there are other, if you want to do a Bible study uh, with a family member or maybe somebody who's in your neighbor and you want to go through a, the book of John or the book of Matthew or whatever, you can get a, a study guide that would help you and assist you in that matter. But if you want to discover for yourself and you want to become more personalized, I would recommend that you, you stick uh, with the Bible and those um, tools that I, I mentioned and try to see if you can discover uh, some truth for yourself. But there's nothing wrong um, cannot be faulted for using a secondary aid to assist you in your Bible study if it would help you. Remember, what we really want is that you to grow in Christ and grow in your faith and grow in your knowledge, grow in your experience, and grow in your capacity to become uh, a much more able Christian. So whatever is going to help you to get into the Word consistently, if a, uh, a study guide is going to help you, by all means, uh, use it. I, I would have no objections to that. Pastor, you were discussing how to proceed with Bible study, and you were discussing observing what literary form the text is. Yeah, that's important because you cannot interpret parables the same way you would interpret prophecy or poetry. What would happen if I do? Well, you end up with a lot of doctrinal errors because a parable teaches one particular truth in the parable. Everything a parable says, you can't look at every part of a parable to mean something else. I mean, if you were to study church history, you'll see some bizarre interpretations. Take the the, uh, the matter of the, the, the Good Samaritan. There are people who interpret the two coins to be the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, 
the people who interpret the donkey to be the boss for the, the church. I mean, it's weird stuff that you can, but again, one particular truth is being taught, and all the details are, are not designed specifically to teach any 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 um, detailed theology. By the way, that's why a lot of cults go bad as wrong as well. They go wrong because they, t- they base their teaching on a particular parable. We have a movement now that has started. Um, within certain circles called the Outer Darkness Movement. The whole of that argument about the Outer Darkness Movement is based on a parable in Matthew chapter 24. They're basing a whole system of theology, and the way they look to find uh, for the base of that is a parable. And you don't teach doctrines um, by parables. Parables help to enlighten uh, us on, on, on doctrinal matters and maybe becomes illustration of doctrinal matters, but they're not the source for discovering the didactic portions, the epistles in particular, those are the portions where you get your doctrinal teaching. But you don't try to to build a doctrine on a parable. Right? That that's why it's important. Um, in that. And then when it comes to Bible prophecy, um, sometimes there's a dual fulfillment. You read the Psalms, you think that David is talking about himself. You come to the New Testament, those same Psalms apply to the Messiah. Uh, and, and so you've got to understand that sometimes it's a dual fulfillment that has a long-term um, application. But there are principles that deal with um, interpreting prophecy, interpreting parables, and Hebrew poetry. I mean, you've got to understand parallelism in order for you to understand uh, the Psalms. If you don't understand parallelism, you what would is, know. What is parallelism? Parallelism basically is... Uh, Couplets, uh, the two two um, two lines are referring to the same thing. So the fir- the first one expands, the second one expands to the first one, or sometimes it adds to the first one. So the same theme is in the first. It's in two two um, two lines. If you think he's teaching something different. Uh, you could misinterpret what it is saying, but we could probably talk about that at some p- other time because they've got different forms of parallelism within the the Hebrew poetry, and that is one of the basic principles that are, are important when it comes to interpreting. So um, the the point I'm making here is that different literary genres uh, features uh, they require certain f- special forms of interpretation. And unless you're able to see what you're dealing with, you can end up with confusion. Another thing when you're observing, now we talk observing, uh, see if there's any words or phrases or concepts that are repeated again and again. For example, you take um, John chapter 15. In that chapter alone, Jesus repeats the word abide, 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 abide. Clearly, that is a key to understanding what John chapter 15 is about. So I want to know what that word in the Greek means. And in what way am I to abide? He thought abide in the vine, so abide in me. But eight times in that chapter, the key word there is abide. So look at those repeated words or phrases. And then look at connectives and linking words like but, for, and, since, therefore. These show relationships and contrasts and results. Uh, It's important to take very careful note of these. And then look for time words as after, when, immediately, before. These show sequence. And that is important as well in understanding uh, a passage. And then look for location words, uh, like is he in Galilee, is he in, in, in Judea? And then you might have to do um, a parallel passage, see exactly where he is. And sometimes the Harmony of the Gospels, which is a book that shows you the order in which the events took clear, are very, very helpful in opening up a passage to you that you've never seen it before. Uh, for example, 
uh, Christ calling the disciples, uh, he called them twice. Um, we called him once when he was um, walking, and John said, "Behold, the Lamb of God," and they followed him. But later on, he called them and uh, called them when he called the twelve disciples. So those differences help to clarify to some extent and give greater detail uh, in terms of, of 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 the call. And then look for contrasts and comparisons. Many times in the Pauline epistles, you read, "But God," he he, he preaches, um, show you the horrible state in which man is, and then, "But God," he does that deliberately to create a great marvelous contrast: the grace of God matching man's sin. That's important. And then look for unknown words that you're not familiar with. Uh, last time we were here, we we read a passage to you in Thessalonians, I think it was, the word prevent. Yeah. We should not prevent them. Again, um, that word has gone through a metamorphosis, and that word doesn't mean, the, that word prevent is no longer, the meaning that was there in 1611 is no longer, it really means to restrain now. So that word needs to be replaced. But a person reading that passage of Scripture would never have an inkling what Paul is teaching. And that's why when you come to a word, it's important for you to, to try to uh, check that word. And then try to grasp the core meaning of each sentence. Each sentence has a subject, has a main verb, and it has an object or complement. And you need to try to find out what is each, what what is the theme or the, the core teaching of that particular sentence. And then look out for figurative expressions especially when you're going to the prophetic books and the book of uh, poetry. Um, look, see if there are allegories or similes or metaphors. Uh, see if there are any analogies. Sometimes they're, they've got what is called a metonymy, or they might have a, a synecdoche. Um, they've also got what is called an ellipsis. Um, and then there are uh, words that are applied to God uh, called anthropomorphisms, um, and that has to do with taking terms that relate to man and applying it to God, like as though God has an eye or God has an ear. If you take that very literally, you got to understand that's a, 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 um, a poetic device. The other thing is, you know, sometimes the, the author speaks um, in personifications, like here or earth, as though uh, the earth can hear as a human being. So you, you have to know the literary devices, especially when you come to the, the Psalms, and even the prophetic books, especially Isaiah, very, very poetic. Um, and a great literary book is the book of Isaiah. So you should become familiar with some of those uh, terms. And then uh, try to discover not just what the subject is in each sentence, but what is the theme or the topic of the paragraph. That's important for you to try to try to get a grasp on that. Yeah, Pastor, we have a caller from Freetown, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yes, Pastor Murphy, good evening. Good evening, madam. I listen to you every night and so on, and your topics are very interested. I, I am a Christian, too. Praise the Lord. And um, there are things that, you know, the Bible says signs and wonders. Yesterday I was baking. And I took my Pyrex out of the out of the oven and put it on the dresser, and it just pops up in a, into many, many, many pieces. Mm. Is that is that that is a sign? Repeat that again. You, okay, you, you, I was baking. Uh huh. I was baking some chicken. Uh huh. And I, after they were finished, I took the Pyrex out of the oven uh -huh. and put it on the dresser. No water, anything. I didn't throw any water or anything in it. And I rest it down, and it came out of the oven hole, uh -huh. just like, and then I rest it on the dresser. Uh -huh. And then it, the, 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 the Pyrex just um, 
the break up into many, many pieces. Uh-huh. And you ask if it's a sign? Yes. It's a sign that you did something wrong. Oh. In other words, I don't don't try to look for anything significant. In, in, I've had situations like that where even the Pyrex this put it in the oven and actually broke in the oven. Yeah. So it could be some kind of a manufacturing fault, and it. it could be that the temperature changed when you take it out of the oven and oh, put it on the yes, so on the dresser. The the, the yes. it's colder than the the temperature. Sure, yes. So I would not read too much into that. Um, oh, yes, I see. Yes. Uh, let but, me. You know, uh, as the Lord says, signs and wonders, you know, you know, and so on. Yeah, but don't forget, He also said, if I might caution you a little bit, He said that evil generation is the one that seeks signs and wonders. Oh, right. So we yes. need to be very, very watchful that That's we. Very careful. Yeah. Yes, the, what you need to do is rather than look for signs and wonders, my recommendation to you is to get into the Word and let Him guide you through His Word. That's, that's yes. what's needed. Um, so don't be yes, too... because His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Correct, 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 correct. What Psalm 109, And everything I go to my Bible. I'll praise the Lord for that. Let's praise the Lord for that. You know, because, you know, um, that is how he speaks to me as, you know, because uh-huh. uh, in case of anything and so on, I go to him and then he will show me. Yes. And I open his word uh-huh. and it will stick to me. Correct. You know, to me, because it's like that, because um, some of the things that stick to me, like um, curses the man that turned it away from God uh-huh. and put his trust in man, you know, oh. and those sort of things, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you're a watchman, I think those, is, he has made me as a watchman and things like that, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I hold on to him. He's, he's my, he's, he's everything, my advisor, my protector, my defender. I rely and depend on him. You but, know, sometimes I go to him, every little thing I go to him. Praise the Lord yes, for I that. I just go to him. Every time I just go to him. I don't have anybody to talk to but him, you know, to me, because he's such a good God to me. He has been so good to me. Amen. Well, first, it's for, you, for me to tell you about the wonders of God. Amen. God is so marvelous. You know, and sometimes when we feel we are alone, we are not alone at all. He's right there. And sometimes, I know, sometimes he makes ways out of no way for me. You know what I mean? God has been so good to me. I just have to give him the glory and the praise and the honor. Amen. Because, you know, he, you know, and he never, he never turned his back on me. He has never rejected me. No. He never said, I'm tired. He's tired of me, uh, you know. Well, he's promised I, I will not, never yeah, leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. Yeah. I love him so much. We, we are very thankful for your call. Yes, and yes, All right, Pastor. God bless you. Yes, I, live, I listen to you every, every night. Every well, you keep on. I keep praying yes, for us and, as well. And Sunday nights, as, as usual, too. Yes. Okay. Pray for us, please. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Thanks for the call. And continue encouraging others to listen also. Uh, Pastor, a follow-up in relation to the question about is it okay to study other religious books? Uh Uh, The listener was intending to say uh, other religion books. My my first response to that would be get yourself grounded in God's Word first. You're not ready to deal with uh, divergent opinions if you are not grounded uh, doctrinally in the faith. Uh, some of these religions are very subtle. They can be easily misled. It depends on yourself, how, how uh, grounded you are in Scripture, how, how, uh, how your grasp of Scripture. I myself um, study the cults, as you would know. These are different uh, religious groups. But unless you are grounded, uh, first of all, in Scripture, and you get to know you have good doctrinal beliefs, etc., etc., um, I would not recommend that you dilly-dally in, in that direction until you've grounded yourself in Scripture. And the other thing is this. If you are going to do 
a, a study along that line. If you have a pastor, uh, you might want to alert him that that's the direction you're going and uh, seek his counsel. He might have some good books that would also assist you in, in that study. But until you are fully uh, grounded as a believer, you don't want to be uh, influenced. Look, I've discovered this, that uh, man has an affinity for falsehood. I can't explain this at all. Uh, People find it so difficult to embrace the truth, but they just gobble down falsehood with a passion. And I think it's in human nature that he's pulled in that direction. And I need to caution you uh, to don't go down that road unless you're fully grounded. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live call-in program. You can call and be put live on the air. one 462 7420 is the phone number to be put on the air. Again, one 462 7420 If you don't want to call and be put live on the air, but you still want to ask your question or suggest a topic for another program, give us a message. Send us a message at one 268 782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Pastor, do you have anything else you'd like to add to how to proceed with a Bible study? Well, remember we talked about planning your study, uh, get it organized. We talked about prayer, asking God to enlighten you. We talked reading the 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 passage or the book several times before you begin to get the general overall theme. And then when you begin to focus on a particular paragraph, read that several times. We mentioned that observation is one of the key factors. If you don't know what is said, you'll never know what what is meant. So you've got to make sure that you kind of understand what is there. And then we we talked about the matter of (coughs) looking at, um, in your observation, several things you look for. Look for what is the literary form of the the book you're reading. Is it prose? Is it poetry? Is it narrative? Then we talked about uh, um, the importance of looking at repeated phrases and and um, words. Uh, looking at c- connecting links, uh, connecting words. We looked at uh, time words, location of places. We talk about contrasts and comparisons. Look for any unknown. Um, words that are there that you don't know. Try to grasp each sentence and then try to grasp the meaning of the paragraph. Having done that, the next thing to do is to try to outline what you have um, discovered. So try to outline the passage that you're studying uh, to clarify your thoughts. Nothing helps you more than be able to write down on paper exactly what the theme of this particular paragraph is or what the doctrine is and then exactly how does that that theme support it, how is it developed and how is it supported? And is there any conclusion at this reach? Uh, but you should outline at least what you've studied. And then when you've done all of that, try to decide what particular truth or principle applies to your life out of that passage. You're not just reading and studying to get information. You're not just going to uh, swell your brain with knowledge. That's not the whole purpose of it. The whole purpose is how do I discover what is there, and then how does it apply to my life? So then begin to do the application. This week, this is what I've discovered, and here is how I will put this particular passage or scripture into practice. Uh, some practical way in which this can be done. And then record your discovery 
um, again, you might end up writing a book sometime in the future. You might end up writing devotional literature at some point in time. You don't want to miss out on what you've actually discovered. It, it might be a blessing to many people. If your church got a newspaper or some kind of a communication that goes between the members, you might want to write an article out of your discovery. And then uh, thank God for opening your eyes and giving you understanding. And uh, always offer thanksgiving because you've asked for enlightenment. He's giving you that enlightenment. Now you're benefiting from it. Uh, the only response, proper response now is praise and thanksgiving that he has done that for you. And then one other thing I would suggest to you, check what you've discovered against any very good evangelical um, um, commentary. Um, God has given to the church over the years men of great, Intellect, men of great, uh, who uh, very studious, men who've devoted sometimes four decades of their life in writing commentaries. Uh, that is the heritage of the church, and uh, so now you've dis- you've made this discovery. You might want to double check so that you are find that you're in alignment with um, a, a better mind, if I might put it this way. I do this so. I, uh, I, I'm not the embodiment of wisdom. I don't know who anybody is. We ought to learn from each other. So I am always referring back. If I find something and I am questioning whether or not uh, this is so, I double check it with with uh, commentaries that I would have. But it's important for you to double check uh, on this matter. Yes, Pastor. We have a caller from Gray Hill, Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Yes, sir. Hi, good night. Good night, sir. Um, I am a bit confused. When Jesus stood before Pilate, uh-huh. he, when Pilate said to him, you're, you're not answering me, don't you know I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus said to him, you would not have that power unless it comes from above. Correct. And I heard a particular pastor uh-huh. said that um, the above did not necessarily mean God. It meant maybe Annas or Caiaphas or, you know, or, or Herod or one of them. Would you clarify that for me, please? Well, I, I think it is very, very clear that Christ is referring to his father. Uh, the final authority, Pilate's authority was granted to him by God the Father. So he could not have any control over Christ except Christ, God had allowed it, the Father allowed it. That's exactly what it means. It has nothing to do with a higher authority other than uh, human authority or governmental authority. He's talking about the authority of heaven. God has allowed, God has providentially provided Christ for our, as our Redeemer. Part of that um, plan that God has that Christ would die. Uh, the, the, the prophecies made it very clear that he would be crucified. So Pilate is given an opportunity, uh, but he, if if he wanted to be delivered, um, God could. You remember what he said? Also, he could have called ten uh, ten legions if he wanted deliverance. But he's saying to Pilate, "Listen, you think you've got power? You think that what you're doing here, I I don't have any control. You think that you're the, you 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 you're, the, you're not the man. Basically, there's one higher than you, and what you are doing, you are allowed to do. That is what." Uh, he was saying it has nothing to do with um, oh. governmental authorities, etc. Okay, 
say thank you very much, sir. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you very much, sir. And I know that that's where you thought as well. I can hear it in your voice that that's where you thought. <laughs> so you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome, sir. God bless. Okay, sir. Have a good night. Thanks for the call. And that's what we're here for is to answer your questions. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-782-1454. Excuse me. The phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Time across Eastern Caribbean is 8.18. We still have just over 30 minutes left in the program. And we have lots of material to cover. But if you have a question, we would love to hear it. Pastor, we have a question that just came in via WhatsApp from Antigua. It says, good night. My question is based on the book of Enoch. Is the book really a missing part of the Bible? And should Christians read this book does the book of Joshua exist, that's spelled J-A-S-H-U-R, exist? Are there other books that are deliberately left out of the King James Version? Thank you. Well, um, my response to that basically is not that it's left out of the King James Version. Um, there are several other uh, books outside the, 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 both the New Testament and the Old Testament. There's something called the, the Apocrypha. There's something called the Pseudepigrapha. Those are different books that were written. The problem with these um, particular books, by the way, is that um, the examination of the literature and examination of the format of the writing, the period in which they're uh, purported to be written is discovered that they're not historical. In other words, the, the time that is claimed to be written uh, is out of historical context. So some of these are very late while they're claiming to be uh, very early. But if the, the, you can look at different forms of the Greek or the Hebrew. You can look at the different type of materials that are used, whether it's, you know, whether it's um, parchment, whatever it is, vellum, whatever it is, and you would be able to know uh, the, the, the form of writing, what period it belonged to. So a lot of these books, um, first of all, they're anachronistic. They're out of the historical period in which they claim to be written. They also claim to be written by people who uh, did not write. Many of them, by the way, uh, attach the apostles' names to the books. And it's very, very clear that, that at the time they were written, the apostles were already dead. The other fact is when it comes to the, 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 the books that are accepted in the Bible, uh, as in regard to the Old Testament, these are the books that the Jews have always uh, accepted. This is part of their canon of scriptures. And, of course, Christianity is linked with Judaism. Uh, Judaism is almost a mother of, of Christianity in, in a sense. Um, so it has nothing to do with the fact that there are not books that are not that are there that are not included in the Bible. It's the reason why they were not included in the Bible. When they were trying to decide on the canon in terms of what was appropriate to the scriptures, they had certain principles and certain rules. Number one, it had to be associated with uh, one of the apostles. If it was not an apostle himself, it had to be a very close associate like John Mark. Uh, 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 then they had to be the, the other other factors. Um, it, it, it had to be approved generally by the church. In other words, uh, universal acceptance of these particular books. And then they had to be when they read them that there was a definite sense that there was a deep spiritual truth in there. It wasn't just a, a human book. 
and uh, depending on the writer as well, uh, for example, the Pauline writings, uh, Peter compares the Pauline writings to other scripture. So clearly that was supposed to be included in the New Testament. I mean, this is a, a subject that would have to be elaborated on in terms of the canonicity, how they arrive at the, what books that should be in the canon of the scripture. It's not something you can just glibly go over. I would recommend a book by Norman Geisler mm. called An Introduction to the Bible. If you have issues on that one, I think it would help clarify uh, these matters. But personally, um, from my own study, my own knowledge, I am convinced that we hold in our hand God's Word Nothing should be added to it. Nothing should be taken away from it. I keep telling people, read Genesis and read Revelation. Anyone that would read those two books could see that one is the beginning of the chapter and one is the closing. And it's, this, is, this is a book that is sequentially written in order that, and is a full and complete revelation. So um, I would say to you that uh, these books you mentioned, Jay Sher, I have to ch- check that one out. I've, I'm familiar with the name. Um, but I need to check it out a little bit more to find out exactly. Here's a little bit of information sure. about it. The book of Jasher, also spelled J-A-S-H-A-R, means the book of the upright or the book of the just man, and it's the, said to be an unknown book mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I knew I, I knew the word, but um, and I, I I know this mentioned, but I don't know exactly where where it's mentioned. The what God wanted to preserve, God has preserved. Cursing that book, Joshua, even though it's mentioned in the Bible, it was not preserved. If you read Corinthians, it's also clear that Paul wrote a third letter to the Corinthians. That was not preserved yeah. as well. So God has preserved the books that he intended for us um, to need to include in the Scriptures. So what we have in the Bible is what God has. We don't only believe in inspiration. We also believe in preservation, that God preserves his word, and what God wanted us to know is exactly what he has contained in the book. So um, a lot of those other books that are mentioned, and the two that you mentioned, those are not part of the canon of Scripture because they were never part of the canon of Scripture, and uh, the church has never accepted those particular books as part of the canon. Remember, the, the church did not make the canon. They just approved what was already canonized. And God has preserved His Word. So we got to be very, very careful because today people are talking about uh, all different types of Gospels, uh, the Gospel of uh, Barnabas, uh, it's as though that people didn't know they existed. Uh, the church knew they existed, and long we know those existed, but they're not part of the... That battle has already been fought and won. Uh, it's just that um, maybe the, the person who wrote in that question need to find a good book on apologetics that would give greater detail and explanation as to why those books were excluded from the canon. But um, for me and for the Church of Jesus uh, Christ, uh, I'm talking about the, the evangelical and the fundamentalist in terms of biblical truth. The, the canon, the issue of the canon is already settled. What we have in Scripture is what God intended. We have not even got the... the, 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 uh, the Apocrypha. The Catholic Church, of course, got the New Testament, you know, the Old Testament, and the Apocrypha. The reason why we have not accepted a lot of those books is because there are a lot of anachronisms in those books as well, a lot of historical errors in those books. In addition, they introduce doctrine that contradicts the Bible. Purgatory. Purgatory, uh, the matter of praying for the dead um, that, that comes to mind immediately. But there, there are several others. Um, uh, that that are included in the Catholic Bible that's excluded from the Protestant because 
there are doctrines in those books that are contrary to what the, the Bible teaches, and that's why those books have never been accepted within the Protestant circle. Pastor, since we started this topic on Bible study and then interpreting the Bible, I've been using that word interpreting, but what is the importance of interpreting? Are there different schools of interpretation, or can I just interpret the Bible however I want? Well, the, the problem today, in my judgment, the real issue, the real battle really has to do with interpretation. I mean, people see the same verse, same scripture. The, question, the t- problem is that they interpret it a different way. So at the heart of the, the, the problem we're having, even within evangelical circles, uh, has to do with the method that is used to interpret. Um, there are different schools of interpretation, and uh, we have to decide which one is more in harmony with Scripture. Uh, for example, take the allegorical school of interpretation. This is a method of interpretation that was part of what they call the Hellenizing uh, of Christianity. Uh, a guy by the name of Clement of Alexander in Oregon, these are the people that introduced this idea of allegorizing. They see the Bible, especially the Old Testament, not as a literal book, to take to be taken literally, they see a symbolic hidden meaning behind every passage in the Bible. So, when they are reading what I'm reading and you're reading, and we take that this event is historical, they believe that even behind that historical event, there's some hidden mystical meaning that ought to be discovered. The problem with that is, it is too subjective, mm. and your imagination, depending how what creative mind you have, you can see anything. And may anything in the, in the scriptures say what you want to say because it's your imagination that determines your interpretation. You must have good principles to help you with interpretation. So, the allegorical method is one that uh, believes that beneath every passage of scripture, whether historical or not, there is some hidden mystical meaning to be discovered, and that's what they're searching for. They're not looking for well, uh, the literal, what the Bible is teaching. They're looking for some mystical teaching behind there. Are there passages in the Bible that you and I should interpret with some level of allegorical interpretation? Of course, because there are allegories in the Bible. There are parables in the Bible. Um, uh, there are there are there's a lot of poetic imagery in the Bible, and as I said, poetry basically is not literal language. It always has some symbolic meaning in poetry. So, so how do I decide when I should have alleg- have an allegorical approach and when I shouldn't? Again, what I was mentioned to you that when we, how to go about it, we mentioned okay. looking at the genre, what right. kind of literature it is. Is it a narrative? Is it prose? Is it poetry? Is it prophecy? Is it parables? Then find out what principles apply to that particular kind of genre. Otherwise, you end up with total confusion. This is is, uh, where, again, a lot of cultic teachings and people who started cultic movements uh, have been misled often by interpreting a passage that's to to be taken literally. They allegorize it to come to a different meaning. This creates massive confusion. And in church history, it has been uh, one of the um, troubling phenomenon in church history that has led people down a trail of false interpretation. So that's the allegorical method uh, where they're trying to find some symbolic meaning. They're not looking for the literal meaning and they believe that there's some spiritual meaning behind the scripture. Uh, and That's what they're looking for. And then there's the the liberal school of interpretation. 
This is the group that rejects the Bible as infallible and inspired, and they believe that the Bible is just a product of man's evolutionary ideas, etc. And the Bible has a lot of errors and mistakes and falsehood. They read and interpret it like any other book, uh, and they just believe that this is religious knowledge that man has concocted, and over a period of his evolutionary stages, he is he's written this book basically what was the name of that school the liberal view liberal liberal, okay. liberal method of interpret school of interpretation i thought you said literal at first no no, no i'm coming to that one <laughs> <laughs> then thirdly there's what you call a literal view or okay. people refer to as a historical grammatical method of interpretation uh this is a method which i believe is a correct method it accepts the literal meaning of scripture it reads each sentence and each phrase and each clause and try to give a little interpretation to it unless that passage doesn't make sense if you take it literally. Uh, if, if, if it doesn't make sense when you take it literally, obviously there is an allegorical meaning there. Uh, when it comes to um, allegories and, and um, figures of speech, of course those need to be interpreted according to the, the genre, as I mentioned. But the literal method tries to find a meaning, a literal meaning of the passage, unless the passage itself would indicate that what you're making, what you're reading, doesn't make sense. As someone has said, um, if the first sense makes sense, seek no other sense, otherwise you end up with nonsense. So that is a general rule, I think, that is applicable uh, to Scripture. And by the way, if you take uh, the interpretation that is given by Paul when he takes refers to different allusions in the Old Testament. You find that um, he, he interprets that literally. There are times, of course, when he interpreted it uh, figuratively. For example, when Paul said, the Bible says you should not muzzle the ox, he takes that and applies that to the remuneration for pastors, mm -hmm. that the person who is laboring, and he said, did, did God write that only for the ox sake? So there was another meaning behind there. But the problem with the allegorical method is that unless there are checks and balances, uh, it can actually send you to some real weird forms of interpretation. So I hold to the literal grammatical uh, method of interpretation. I think that's the best uh, approach to Scripture. Pastor, we have a text message that has come from St. Kitts. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Pastor, can you give me the name of a book or books that you can use or buy that tells you about the culture and customs of the Bible and history? There is one um, look for online. It's called Bible Customs and Manners. Um, I can't remember the, the author, but if you Google that, Bible Customs and Manners, you will see, if you Google that, you're going to get uh, that book come up. That's a very, very helpful book. Give you some background. There's a book by uh, Ebershim, uh, a Jewish uh, pastor, um, called The Life and Times of Jesus Christ. That is another book that gives you tremendous biblical background uh, to the Bible, uh, about customs, etc., etc., because he was a Jew, and he's done a phenomenal job of um, bringing that to the four, so that if you're studying the scriptures, you need that, that, that particular book. So the Bible, Manners and Customs, that book by... Uh, would that be Nelson's New Illustrated Bible, Manners and Customs? That would be a very good one as well, in Nelson's. That'd be a good one. Okay. All right. 
You're listening to That's Truth. We are talking about Bible study and proper Bible interpretation. Now, you're talking about interpretation, and you are laying out the schools of interpretation. Are there particular principles or things that I guidelines that I need to make sure I have in place in order to ensure that I don't head down some slippery slope somewhere? Yeah, I think, you know, listen, if you don't have proper principles of interpretation, you're always going to end up with a false conclusion. So you do have to have, and, and by the way, this, this, uh, there are books that you can buy. Um, uh, this particular area is called hermeneutics, which is the, 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 uh, the, the principles of interpretation. Um, there's a book by a guy called Hazlitt uh, that, um, very small book, uh, but very, very useful talking about those principles of interpretation. Let me mention some very quickly for you. Um, the first one, I think, if you're going to interpret the Bible properly, is try to interpret literally. I mentioned before, unless the passage doesn't make sense when you attempt to try interpret it literally, uh, hold to a literal, literal uh, interpretation. That's the primary meaning of the the Bible. So approach the Bible as if God wanted you to know what is there, and uh, that's why the literal sense makes sense. So that's the first principle, the literal approach. Look at the context principle. Um, look and see exactly where that passage is, what is written before, what is written after. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that is made today is that people take a particular passage or verse and give it a meaning that has no meaning whatsoever in scriptures. So you need to look at the, the contextual principle where you look at what comes before and what comes after, and uh, that is important. The passage that you're reading is within a chapter, so you see, you see what that chapter is. That chapter is within a book, so try to understand what that book is. That book is within a section of the Bible. Try to understand what section it is, and that section of the Bible gives you, is also within the overall theme of the Bible. So every passage you read, there's the, the chapter, there's the book, there's the section of the Bible, and there's the overall teaching of the Bible. That is what I mean by context. Uh, try to interpret the passage in that way. Then number three, let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. And by that I mean um, no particular doctrine should rest on a single passage that is vague or am ambiguous. Um, there is some clear passage in the Bible that deals with every major doctrine. It's called the full, prin uh, the, uh, the full, pr full principle. But what that really means is that any major doctrine that is mentioned in the passage, there is going to be an elaboration of that in an, a passage that is much larger. Take the Lord's Supper. Um, the, 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 the full mentioned principle there comes into operation in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul deals extensively with the communion service. Take the matter of um, propitiation. That word occurs in the Old Testament, but when you come to the New Testament now, you find in Romans chapter 3 and 4, Paul expands and gives you a full understanding of what propitiation is. Uh, when it comes to the law, the book of Galatians would do an extensive job on that as well. So let the Bible interpret the Bible, and don't try to build any doctrine on any single verse of Scripture. If you do that, you're always going to end up in problems. Look for the parallel passages. Uh, if you're studying the Gospels, for example, 
if you've got the synoptic gospels, which are the three gospels that see from one perspective, uh, sometimes parables are repeated there, sometimes teachings are repeated there, sometimes words are included and not included in the other. It doesn't mean that they're contradictory, they're complementary, uh, but it just showed there was no collusion between the writers and they wrote very independently. The other principle I think is very important is the progressive principle of revelation. That means from Genesis to Revelations, God is unfolding truth, and that truth is shown greater light and greater light as we progress uh, in the study of Scripture. Uh, you should not try to build a doctrine based on the Old Testament. Uh, you need the New Testament light to, to be thrown on the Old Testament. So you have to understand this progressive principle. I think some of the major mistakes, especially when it comes to things like soul sleep, and uh, the matter of uh, annihilation, uh, the matter that when a person is dead, uh, he's not conscious. Most of those groups that hold to that, that kind of teaching derive that from some Old Testament passage and maybe one scripture verse and completely ignore the full revelation we have in the New Testament after for the body is present with the Lord, um, which is very, very uh, a teaching that the believer at death goes to be with the Lord. Um, Philippians, Paul talks about that having the desire to depart and to be with the Lord. You cannot allow uh, what you see in the Old Testament to dictate uh, this truth because this revelation is progressively revealed. And then another principle is what I call the accommodation principle. And what I mean by that is, how does an infinite God communicate with a finite man? He can only do that using human language. So there are times in the Bible where certain terms are applied to God. Uh, we, we refer to this as anthropomorphisms, where uh, God is sometimes depicted of having eyes and having hands and having ears. Uh, this is not, not be taken literally. This is a literary form. But how would God be able to express himself without using language that man can understand? And that is why he applies certain parts to himself that are not to be taken literally, but a person who understands the genre would not have a problem, but he accommodates himself to human weakness and human limitations. So it's important for us to take that in mind. He's using human language. The other uh, matter that I think is, is an important is that there's only one interpretation that is correct for any verse of Scripture. And that is what the writer meant, not what I mean, or how I interpret to mean that. So while we may end up with different interpretations, the fact is there's only one correct interpretation. And by the way, that is true. If I make a statement, that statement that I make uh, must be interpreted as I intended it to be made. You could take that statement I made and give, and give a, 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 some kind of a twist to it. So I need to discover what was written, what the writer intended, and that is why sometimes the, the person asks a moment ago, where you get like Bible customs and, and stuff like that? Sometimes that's so important to understand the passage, especially when it comes to the parables, understand the customs, like the, the wedding garments. Uh, you know, we don't give people wedding garments today. But the customs back then, that the man that was not well off, when he came to the wedding, wedding garments were given, especially if the person handling the wedding was a very um, rich or wealthy, affluent person. So you would not understand that parable on the, the wedding garments unless you understand the customs of that time. But understand there's only one interpretation that's correct, and that's the intended interpretation or pass, uh, what, the, what the writer meant. You've got to discover what that. And then 
The other one is um, try to harmonize Scripture with Scripture. No part of the Bible contradicts itself. So if I find a passage that seems to contradict the, the another passage, it means that there's something wrong with my interpretation. There's something I'm missing. Uh, it must harmonize because God is a God of reason and God is a God of perfection. He's a rational God. He's not an irrational God. He's also a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. And we must admit uh, there are times when something might seem to contradict, but there is an explanation that can be found. We just need to harmonize it uh, with with, with uh, other scriptures. Uh, we have a WhatsApp question that came in from Antigua. It says, Good night, Pastor, and God's richest blessings to you and Dr. Murphy. Should anyone tackle the pastor? Should anyone t- should anyone tackle the books of prophecy first? And what topics or books should a person study first? There are two things that any time a church is having a service or a pastor is going to speak that draws immediate interest: prophecy, yeah. and normally dating, courtship, and marriage. And people are just drawn to those things. But nobody's ready for prophecy unless they understand the Old Testament. You cannot understand the book of Revelation unless you understand the book of Daniel and uh, um, references in the book of Ezekiel as well. So I would suggest to a person who, even though the excitement of the moment may be there to just rush into prophecy, I think you're going to have some difficulty trying to understand uh, the book of Revelation, for example, unless you have some background to the Old Testament and the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. That being said, there are some very useful, handy, practical books on prophecy. Hal Lindsey has one on the, the late great planet Earth. I honed my teeth on that when it came to Bible prophecy. Um, I think that that was a very useful book. Tim LaHaye has one on, on Revelations as well. Um, John MacArthur, his commentaries on, on whether it be Revelation or, or any other New Testament book is fairly helpful in, in that regard. But the excitement of studying Bible prophecy, the attraction of that is almost immediate, so therefore you're going to have a tendency to gravitate towards the study of Bible prophecy. But I would recommend that before you start tackling Revelation, uh, try to study the other prophetic books, especially the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. Without those two books, you'll find that Daniel is almost a closed book because there's so many allusions in Daniel uh, remember that Daniel saw these things symbolically. A lot of those symbols in Daniel, in in, in um, sorry, Revelation, sorry, symbolically. A lot of those symbols in Revelation can only be understood if you study um, the book of Daniel and the book of uh, the dovetail into each other. So that would be my uh, initial uh, response to you. If you do want to study, get a good um, evangelical commentary. Walvert, if you want a very good book on on on, on uh, Revelation. Uh, check uh, John Walvoord online and check the book of Revelation that's a standard classical book on the, the book of Revelation but um, I would suggest that you try to get into the book of Daniel first before you start to go into Revelation and by the way um, the same Walvoord John Walvoord has a standard book on Daniel as well so it, those are two fantastic commentaries that, that synchronize with each other I would recommend you get those books follow up question and also the book of Enoch is it worth the book, is it worth exploring since the book of Jude in the New Testament references it? 
I, you know, I am a little bit ambivalent about that. I've never read the Book of Enoch myself, to be very honest with you. Uh, I know that uh, Jude alludes to um, the Book of Enoch, uh, but it has no place in the canon. Remember also that even some of the apocryphal books that have a lot of vital information, for example, the Book of Maccabees, first and second book of Maccabees, they are enlightening in terms of what happened during the period of the uh, book of Daniel dealing with the the um, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and what he did, that struggle that went on there in the book of Daniel. So the book of Maccabees provides a lot of historical data that explains the book of Daniel, and it, it, it's good to be able to use that. Same thing with the, the book of Enoch. I mean, if it has historical value, I don't have any, I'm not adverse to, to the fact of reading it, but don't treat it as though it's on par with the New Testament or the Old Testament. The fact that an event is quoted in history, or a book is quoted in history, uh, quoted in the Bible, does not mean that it's inspired. For example, Paul in the book of Acts quote Greek poets. Mm. Uh, the book of Titus as well, talking about the Cretans, and he refers to there a poet saying that the Cretans are slow bellies, etc., etc. So it doesn't mean that it has biblical inspiration and is sanctioned as being inspired. It's just a reference to a particular matter that is true, but it doesn't mean the book itself embodies uh, the revelation of God. And a Facebook Live question from Jason in St. Martin. The Black Hebrew Israelites movement claimed that the Apocrypha and other books are missing from the Bible. Do they use these books to back up all what they stand for? At some point in time, we're going to have to address this this matter. That the 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 um, I've had people tell me that the real Jews are the the um, Black Africans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not even worse sometimes, even actually um, trying to to deal with it to, to refute it. But it's bec- seems like it's gaining traction and need to be addressed. There's no truth to this whatsoever, and uh, maybe that we need to tackle it at some point in time. I'm not too sure. Uh, why they would say that the fact that the the Apocrypha, the Book of Maccabees, etc., is not included in the Bible, uh, that it has some kind of a um, uh, historical intention to hide some kind of factual information about um, blacks being the Jews, etc. So I, I'm not too sure. I've never heard that argument before, but I will try to investigate and check it out. But it's a myth. Uh, the Jewish people are the Jewish people and they have retained the history uh, from the book from uh, Abraham right now and the Jewish people today are the Jewish people back in Israel that was fulfilled according to the prophecy given in Ezekiel that he would call them from the uttermost part to the earth and bring them back uh, to the promised land and that took place in 1948 after 2000 years having not a nation but God had promised that he would bring them back because Part of God's end time plan, uh, the Jews had to be back in, in Israel. The temple has to be rebuilt. Uh, the Messiah, when he comes back, he's coming back to the uh, the Mount of Olives. So that is why the Israel is back in, in, in Palestine. They're back there in unbelief, by the way, because the book of Ezekiel makes it quite clear that they're coming back in unbelief and they will be purified during the tribulation period when God judges the earth and uh, purifies the Jews. You're listening to That's Truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. There's 10 minutes left in the program. If you've got a question, go ahead and get it sent in to us. You can send it via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. 
if you'd like to call and be put live on the air, call one 462 7420 Pastor, you were discussing uh, principles of sound interpretation. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, I, I mentioned uh, before, but it's me repeating as far as one of the great principles, that you've got to identify the genre. It's called a genre principle. So find out exactly what kind of literature you're dealing with and what literary category it falls under. Uh, I mentioned those different categories. There's poetry, history, prophecy, parable, proverbs, epistle, whatever it is. You can't decide what. It, go ahead. Yes, Pastor. Sorry to interrupt, but we got a caller from All Saints Antigua. Thank you for calling. Go ahead quickly with your question, please. Thank you for answering me. Good night. Good night. Uh, Pastor Murphy, you said something earlier that kind of puzzled me, and I would like if you could clarify it for me. What's that? You said um, nobody really knows what time Jesus was born. Yeah. You could clarify that for me because I was wondering if his parents don't know. Well, uh, well, <laughs> what I mean by that is that there's no, um, the 25th of December, mm-hmm. uh, there's no historical data that indicates that's the precise date on which Christ was born. Mm-hmm. That's the one that the church has established. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some people who said he was born in October. Yeah. Uh, but that is, a, that, is, that is a reality that there's no, there's no historical record that says that he was born on December 25th. Mm-hmm. The problem there is that this is a, a, a date that's been established uh, by the church, uh, normally the Catholic Church, and uh, to change that or to alter that, I, I do feel that we ought to celebrate Christmas like we celebrate, yeah. I think, that the, the fact that he came and was born, right. nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. So I don't get into any um, debate about the date. The date is immaterial. It's what is meant on the date, just like Good Friday. Perfectly. You know, I don't mm-hmm. argue on those kind of issues yeah. because I do feel that Good Friday is an appropriate time for you. As I mentioned to the, the caller a moment uh, before, there are two days that people mostly go to church, Easter and, and, and Christmas. So we should use those days and stop arguing all the nonsense about, it. you know, we don't know the date, we don't know the date, we don't know the date. What is the function there is to celebrate his birth and to celebrate his death? So I don't have a problem with those issues. And Okay, and another thing. Sure. Uh, do you think if a person appears on um, a game show and they win a lot of money, is it gambling? Uh, I don't know what you mean by game show. I, I, all I would say is I think that there's some things that we need to stay out as Christians. Like Jeopardy and, and um, I don't know if you ever watched Jeopardy and um, um, what's the other one? Um, the there's Wheel no, of Fortune. Okay, I know what you're talking there's no, there's no strict law in that regard. In other words, I think this is where Christian's conscience comes in. Yeah. We've got to be very, very careful that we don't box people in okay. where the Bible where the Bible doesn't speak on an issue we have to be very very careful that we do not too dogmatic mm-hmm. I myself would not want to engage in that personally because mm-hmm. I'm a pastor how would it look for me as a pastor because I've seen pastors on those programs yeah but I, I would not do that because I think I might be sending the wrong message mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like I just saw um, something that came in on the internet for me the other day that a guy brought his wife a, a, a Lamborghini vehicle a pastor no, I could never do that okay. because I have to remember that how I live. Mm-hmm. I, I've got people in my church that don't even have a bicycle. Right. Why in the world would I as a pastor now live above that such a standard? What am I saying to my people? What am I saying to people outside? Mm-hmm. So even though there's nothing wrong in Scripture to say that you shouldn't do that, uh-huh. I still have to live by the principle of modesty, 
I need to be careful what I do and remember that the important thing for me as a Christian is my testimony and a witness for Christ. And I don't want to do anything that I jeopardize that testimony or that witness. I agree. And one more thing. Could sure. you please tell me that you had this program some time ago. The name of the person for the Jehovah Witness that forms the Jehovah Witness. Because I was telling somebody about it and the Adventist, so they can go and... Um, Is it Russell? Yeah. Search, yeah. search it and think. Russell. Russell. Russell, yeah. what's the last name? Russell's I last think name Russell something? is the last name. I'm yeah, th that's the last name. I think it's William Russell, but I can't remember the... William Russell? Yeah, but Russell, if you do... If you hit Joe, if you go online mm -hmm. and you punch in Jehovah's Witness and put Russell next to it, uh -huh. it'll come up. Okay, and the Adventist is what? L.N.G. White. L.N.G. White. Yeah, and then William Miller... Is the one that actually started the movement. No, he was an ex-Baptist. Yeah, yeah. William Miller, he actually started it. And then the person who's the most prominent um, of the teachers is Ellen uh, G. White. But William Miller is the guy that started it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Charles, oh, Charles T. Russell, that's his name. Charles, Charles T. Russell. T. Russell? Charles, yeah, Charles okay. T. Russell. Okay, thank you so very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank listen. you for the call. It's always good to hear fresh voices on the program. Uh, Pastor, have a question that came in while that caller was on the line. Sure. It says, Good night. The reason why I ask about the book of Enoch is because in Jude 14 and 15, it is based on a prophecy of Enoch from the book of Enoch. Um no, I, I, I'm aware of that. I mean, I've studied the book of Jude already, and uh, I, I, I'm aware that he quotes uh, Enoch. I think um, there's also an allusion to the book of uh, Enoch as well, suspected in the book of Peter, one of the, I think it's second, second epistle. I'm aware of that. Uh, but again, that does not mean because he quotes a particular passage, whether it be a prophecy or whatever, that the full endorsement of that book that it belongs to the canon of scriptures. Uh, that has never been accepted as part of the canon of scriptures. The other thing is, I am not to, as I said before, because I've not read the book of Enoch, I don't know what's in there other than the prophecy that's quoted by Jude. Uh, I don't know, I would have to read it, and maybe you, you're incentivizing me now to find it and to read it to see exactly what other else is said in there. It could be that there are some anachronisms in that book as well, where that he's making stating facts that doesn't fall in line with the historical period in which it was written. It may be that his author might have in that same book certain doctrines that are contrary to what is in the New Testament, the Old Testament. So um, let me just hold off on that until I read it myself and then give a further opinion on it. I hope you can allow me to do that, please. Pastor, we have two and a half minutes left in the program. Any final thoughts in relation to interpretation or Bible study? Well, the other thing is the what I call the grammatical principle. And what I mean by that is uh, the Bible is written in three languages, mainly two, Hebrew and Greek and uh, Aramaic. Uh, I would, would caution anybody who tries to establish some new doctrine or some new principle who is not knowledgeable in those languages. Uh, I, would, I would caution people to be very, very careful of accepting those interpretations because uh, I think it's important that you understand the correct use of the, the grammar of both Hebrew and, uh, and, and Greek, uh, that you know the, the things about the syntax and the word studies. So I think it's important. That doesn't mean that you've got to know Hebrew and Greek and, and uh, Aramaic to be able to interpret the Bible, because we have a lot of very valuable things that would help us with that. We've got lexicons, we've got Bible dictionaries, we've got exegetical commentaries. But I'm just a little bit worried 
that people who don't know the original languages end up creating a cultic group. This was the same thing with Russell, by the way, and even Ellen G. White uh, uh, herself. Some of her interpretations, uh, she has no knowledge of Greek language, she has no knowledge of Hebrew language, and I would not allow anybody to be an authority uh, on biblical truth who really doesn't have any idea about these languages. I think it's important uh, that we watch that. And then the last thing I think is important is the historical background principle, which has to do look at the, the, the culture and the historical setting of the book. And that's where customs and traditions of the time are so important, especially when you get into the Gospels and even when you get into the Epistles. So I think that's another vitally important person to know the historical and the cultural background. Pastor, would you say that the Bible is simple to understand? I would say generally yes, it is, and, but it depends on the 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 the, um, the translation. I believe that the modern person today is not knowledgeable of the 1611 King James because it's a language that they, they don't understand. And that's where I really believe that it is useful to have a, an update translation in the contemporary language, but one that is more literal rather than just conceptual. So if the Bible is relatively simple to understand, why are there so many religions out there that interpret the same book in so many divergent ways? I mentioned to you that the problem is not reading what is there. The problem is interpreting what is there. Unless you have good, solid principles of interpretation, you're always going to have deviant meanings. And that's where the crisis lies. So that's important for us to have good hermeneutics when we study scripture. In order to do a thorough Bible study, do I need to be a Bible school graduate? Absolutely not. Uh, God wants you to know his truth, and that's why the Bible is designed. Remember we talked about Koine Greek, the street, the, the Greek of the man in the streets, the, the Greek of contracts and letters, the everyday language of the people, the dialect of the people. Clearly that's an indication God wants the average man to understand scripture. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Next week, be sure you join us. We're going to be talking about another very practical topic. What happens when we die? What happens to our souls? Is there an afterlife? Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.